it's an objective of St. Croix Hospice to be there, to physically be present when a patient takes their last breath so that we can provide that level of comfort and support, not just again to the patient, but also the family and other caregivers that they may have impacting them. The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. MentorMate empowers healthcare clients to deliver on their mission and transform the human experience through technology. For over 20 years, clients have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision, design innovative products, and build secure solutions while understanding the specific nuances of their industry. MentorMate's global team in the U.S., Eastern Europe, and Latin America helps clients in all sectors of healthcare transform their organizations. From Fortune 500 pharmaceutical companies and commercial payers to hospital systems, medical device manufacturers, and beyond. Learn more at mentormate.com healthcare. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. We've got a really fun discussion today on a, a very important topic, a very important part of our healthcare community that we probably don't talk enough about and how it connects in with the rest of healthcare. So I'm, I'm so excited today to be joined by Heath Hartness, who's the CEO of St. Croix Hospice. And Heath, maybe where we could start, could you just give us the quick intro on you and your career and then a bit about St. Croix Hospice? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me uh, today. And and it's exciting to be talking about something that uh, others think is exciting, which is which is not typically the case in, in terms of, of end-of-life care, but something that certainly is, is vitally important to the entire healthcare ecosystem. So, uh, Frank, as you mentioned, I'm Heath Bartness. Uh, I'm the founder and, and CEO of St. Croix Hospice. We've been a hospice agency uh, that was founded and started here in Minnesota uh, about 15 years ago. And currently we serve uh, close to 4,000 patients every single day, and we and we do those provide those services uh, across 10 different states in the Upper Midwest here. And so we're very proud of the clinical team that we have, the quality of care that we provide, but also the the intent of hospice, which is which is not just a physical aspect of of patients and families and caregivers' needs, but also the psychosocial as well as the spiritual yeah. element of of the care. I mean, th- this is why I find it exciting and so important. This is a thing that we will all eventually face. And if it's done well, it helps so much, not only for the person going through it, but for the whole family. And that's where great hospice providers really can make a difference. I'm curious, maybe for those of us out there who maybe aren't as familiar with it, what is hospice care? And are there things we get wrong when we think of or we have an image of hospice care in our head? Yeah, well, that's been something that, you know, we as hospice providers have have tried to overcome, you know, since the existence of the, of the Medicare hospice benefit in the early 80s is, you know, hospice is intended to be uh, a six-month benefit, and, and there is there's no cost to hospice. It's, it's 100% covered by Medicare Part A. And so if someone's 65 or older and has, a, has the benefit, 
it, it's 100% uh, covered, and 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 hospice is covered not just from a from a caregiving perspective, but hospice is required to provide all medical equipment, all medical supplies, and all uh, medications related to a patient's terminal diagnosis. And so, to qualify for hospice, really there's there's cr general criteria that we, that we need to follow from a from a uh, provider perspective. But but really, it's if a physician determines that uh, a patient has a life limiting terminal illness with a life expectancy of six months or less, and the patient elects to utilize a hospice benefit, uh, hospices can be enacted. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, you mentioned something quite unique, you know, about kind of some of the, some of the, you know, what do we get wrong about hospice? Yeah. You know, no one's ever said, uh, we wish we had chose hospice later. Most people say, why didn't we know about you sooner? And I think as, as a medical community, certainly we're, we're always going to strive and we should strive to provide curative treatment. But at some point, that curative treatment care plan really doesn't have a very successful outcome. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to utilize this tremendous benefit uh, where, where the caregivers can come to wherever the patient calls home, whether it's their traditional right. home and assisted living in a skilled nursing facility, perhaps in a hospital. We, we've provided hospice care to folks that, that have no home. Um, you know, it, it's really a tremendous way to get out there and to benefit not just a patient and the family, but also, you know, the communities that, that these folks live in. Indeed. And you mentioned that sometimes in the hospital, what what is the relationship or the interaction that you know St. Croix or that hospice care has with the, the broader healthcare ecosystem? Right. Well, you know, and that's COVID certainly uh, provided us with a number of opportunities to reconnect and engage with yeah. a lot of these health systems that that you know were were at or or beyond capacity and and uh, you know needed to have care outside of that acute mm -hmm. care setting by providers that could provide an, an, an acute type of care in the patient's home. And so, so we really did see a significant uh, impact to hospitals needing to free up, you know, their, their beds for COVID impacted patients and, and, and other certainly critical needs and to try to ensure that, you know, a 90-year-old that has pneumonia with a terminal diagnosis of, of a heart condition or a pulmonary disorder could get uh, the care that they need and deserve in the home. Mm. And so we saw we saw a tremendous relationship expansion with health systems. You know, when when someone's on hospice in a nurse in a, in a hospital setting, uh, which can be can be done, and there's there's a different level of care that's pro, that's provided in a hospital. It's called inpatient level of care, but it really does it, it it does not impact the hospital's mortality rate. And so there's there's benefits as well from a data perspective, but certainly just the overall care that's being provided, which is right. unique and different, uh, is 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 of immense value to to, again, the entire system, but also certainly, and most importantly, to the patient and the family. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing you describe how better care coordination leads to better outcomes, which is something we, I think, as a community, we all talk about, but it's very hard to implement. You just shared, I think, some very specific ways that collaboration with the hospice community improves patient care, but also then helps the health systems to be more productive and focus their resources where they can deliver the best care. Like that's a good partnership for both sides. Oh, absolutely. And you know, look, these health systems have, have, 
you know, had tremendous, uh, you know, curveballs thrown at them with the pandemic and with staffing concerns and whatnot. And, and we quite frankly, just feel like, like we are, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of just an addition to that entire healthcare ecosystem. And, and we feel very fortunate that we have the opportunity to work collectively with so many, even those that have their own hospice program, mm -hmm. uh, we still become, you know, a viable option uh, just based on the, you know, the, the volume and the demand that's in right. place, you know, currently uh, still we're, we're at less than 50% of persons 65 and older that pass away utilize this amazing benefit. And that's been something that we collectively have been trying to engage with, with the community to, to discuss and, and, you know, that hospice is not the final day of life. Now, sometimes it can be right when, when a referral comes right. in very late in, in terms of the, the process, but uh, there, there's just such an opportunity uh, for all of us as hospice providers to to go out and engage and to take just tremendous care of these patients and and at a cost point quite frankly to the Medicare system that that's much more favorable mm -hmm. uh, you know we, we get paid on a per diem there's not a DRG like like a hospital would would perhaps be um, be reimbursed at and and so you know it's a very it's it's a much lower cost point for the payers to be on hospice and it is obviously to be in a in an acute care setting. Uh, in, in the final days of life. Oh, interesting. And it, you said at the beginning, you mentioned the, the curveball of the pandemic for the health systems. How did that end up affecting the hospice community and affecting St. Croix? Well, we had to be creative because there was restrictions that were placed on on, on you know, all of us as in, in, a, in the healthcare community, but certainly in terms of our ability to get out and see our patients that may have resided in a, in a nursing facility or an assisted living facility. And so we had to be creative doing some some uh, remote care, which, which was something that we historically had not done a lot of. Most of the most of the uh, facility-based settings allowed us to send registered nurses in and our nursing assistants in, but did not allow us to have uh, our social workers, for example, oh, sure. always have access, or chaplains. And, you know, music and massage therapy were were essentially kind of banished in in in, in the entire in the entire country, right? Uh, and, and and so that's a that too is a, a service that we provide, which is a non pharmacological intervention to to palliate a patient's symptoms. And 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 it, I'll be honest with you, uh, I I kind of thought that this music therapy it was kind of hocus pocus until I saw how it worked, and I was just amazed at the impact that that uh, that it provided to reduce anxiety and and, and some other oh, yeah. symptoms that these that these patients had and so we really became uh very ardent uh utilizers of these different therapies and so when the pandemic hit obviously that was something that greatly impacted our ability to to do what we what we want to do because frank look ultimately we have one opportunity to give a patient and family a positive life experience right it happens one time we can't fail Right. It's just it's not acceptable. I mean, we cannot tolerate any kind of a failure. And so when we couldn't provide that full bevy of, of care and services that we were accustomed to providing, you know, we really had some some disappointment amongst our team members that, you know, these these patients yeah. perhaps weren't getting everything that we felt like we could offer. And and look, I think just like the other health healthcare systems, um, you know, their hands were tied and there was only so much right. we could do based on you know, the, the, the regulatory impact that, that the pandemic had, and certainly from a safety perspective, you know, I mean, what was safe at the time and, and, uh, and look, we could sit here and, and go hindsight 2020 all day long about it. But uh, I think the decisions that were made were at the best decisions that could be made at the time. And, and look, we all learned from it and 
hopefully mm-hmm. we don't have to go through this again for another hundred years, right? <laughs> Indeed, right on to that. And I, and I got to say kudos to you and your whole team for being so passionate about that. And, you know, we all only get one chance to go through this, knowing that there are people out there who care that much. I got to say, I find personally reassuring. I'm curious, you know, in Medical Alley, we're we're fortunate that we have this community of payers, of providers, of technology from really end to end from birth to death care, and many of them very innovative, trying new things. I I like to ask all of them, you know, what what is your vision for the future of healthcare, for a better healthcare system, and what role do you see hospice care playing in that bigger vision? Well, I think, look, technology has has greatly impacted the field of end-of-life care. We have artificial intelligence that can help us predict almost to a 98 percentile of success when a patient's final seven to 10 days of life are going to be. So it allows us to better prepare the family, better prepare the patient, and to ensure that we have our staff on site and we have medications and supplies and those needs met mm. so that so that we're there when these patients and families need us the most, right? And it usually is and in their final breath. And and it's a it's an objective of St. Croix Hospice to be there, to physically be present when a patient takes their last breath so that we can provide that level of comfort and support, huh. not just again to the patient, but also the family and other caregivers that they may have impacting them. And so from our perspective, you know, we're, we're, we know that we're, I mean, we're not, we're not a huge health system. I mean, some of the other members of Medical Alley, we're, we're just enamored to be even a, a part of the group, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, it, but, but we think that we can really provide a value and, and be an impactful partner, an impactful small piece of, of that entire continuum that you just mentioned, right? From, from birth mm-hmm. to obviously the very end of life. And, and even though if it's the final six months of someone's life, we really think that, that the, this value that we can provide can can be something that's utilized not just by 50% or less of the population, but by right. a greater percentage of the population. And that ultimately the impact of, of what we do can kind of continue to spread so more and more people can understand what this amazing benefit is and how to maximize and utilize it. Indeed. Well, and, and I'll say we are honored and enamored to have you and the team involved you know, small is mighty, particularly in healthcare, where you can be nimble and you can be creative. And there's such an opportunity, particularly in this community, to bring new perspectives, to try different things. And I, I think the pandemic opened our eyes for a lot of things, even the telemedicine side that had existed forever, right? It had been there, but the utilization of it had been rather low. Now, you mentioned the predictive capabilities. Are there other technologies or services that you are seeing that are coming into hospice care that you're excited about or you think are going to make a bigger impact on what you're able to deliver? Well, we have some measurement components that 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 really kind of benchmark us as a program, you know, with with other programs. So there's quality measures and and these quality connections we we call them. Uh, there's also you know the interfaces that we have with these other medical record systems. And so historically, yeah. you know, a hospital may call us and say, hey, we have a we have a patient that has a need. The family would like to meet with you, and they would be faxing you oh, know yeah. the, the recent history and physical and 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 data points to us. Where now, based on 
you know, the ability to integrate with these other medical record systems, you know, it's, it's real time. We're able to review, uh, you know, any of the information that, that's, that's available, labs and and nurses and, and physicians know. So, so that, that's been valuable. I think that, you know, we continue to, to try to find ways to impact our caregivers uh, lives yeah. through technology, whether it be through voice to text opportunities that this different than the Amazon Alexas or the series, right. But that are, that are really clinically focused yep. and, and allowing those clinicians very much different than, than a care setting that I'm, I'm accustomed to. I'm, I'm a former nursing home administrator and, you know, we, we were very task oriented in, in, in my nursing homes and, and I, and rightfully so. I mean, there was things that had to be done. There was a cadence and a rhythm throughout the day when breakfast was served and lunch and, and things like that. But with hospice, it's not so task oriented. You know, I mean, there, there is an opportunity to spend more time with a patient or with a family based on the clinical assessment that a clinician has. And, and sometimes Frank, that may mean uh, sitting on a couch and watching a Hallmark movie around the holidays. And that's okay. That's a good visit, right? I mean, that can mm -hmm. be a great great visit because there's a psychosocial dynamic that needs to be, you know, impacted by that. Right. And so any, any ways that we can continue to be more efficient with, you know, the, the, uh, you know, minutia, so to speak of the documentation, right. Which we all have to provide, right. I mean, if, if it's not documented, documented, it didn't happen. Right. But any way to impact that from a positive perspective to allow those clinicians to have more, you know, one-on-one -on -one physical connection with a patient, that that's always a win. So, you know, those are things that I would say, you know, probably from a, from a macro perspective are the things that we're really looking at, you know, at St. Croix Hospice to, to benefit us. Uh, this artificial intelligence regarding the, the end of life prediction is something that, uh, you know, it, it's, we were the first uh, hospice agency in the country to, to utilize it. We were the pilot program. Uh -huh. And, and it's something that, you know, now a significant number of hospices utilize. And, uh, and it, it's exciting because it gives us, you know, just that extra kind of uh, knowledge point mm -hmm. that, that we didn't have before that can really impact those patients and families at, at, the, at the very end. Indeed. Yeah. And that, that's something I'm hearing from a lot of our provider members that technologies that ease the job of the clinicians or of the staff that are supporting them really have a huge impact, right? The, the docs, the nurses, the other staff, they know how to provide the care. They need the space to be able to do that and not be buried in, as you said, the minutia. Uh, I would say to any of the entrepreneurs out there listening, there is still so much opportunity to help clinical productivity, help the backside of healthcare, which then makes the front side, the patient facing side, that much better as a result. Well, you're you're right, and you know, Frank, it 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 starts ultimately though with with hiring the right team member, and, yeah. and I think what what's so unique about hospice is that you know our caregivers they they have this burning desire somewhere in their belly to to be with someone when when they take the last breath of their life, right? I mean, it, yeah. it is it is not a tactile type of care. I mean, we're not doing you know, the, you know, high end nursing in terms of pick lines and, 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 and sure. aggressive titration of medications or anything like that. It is really a bedside rapport, a connectivity and ensuring that the symptoms are, are being palliated to, to support the, the best outcome we can have, which, which, you know, there, there's still hope in hospice, right? Hospice does not mean that 
we have to give up uh, anything and everything. I mean, we have right. we have patients that you know their their desires may change, but it may be to you know get down to uh, a grandchild's wedding or a graduation or or go to the lake home one more time or whatever it may be. And so it's our job to help help you know continue to find those moments of joy for these patients, even if those moments of joy have changed you know over the course of their their time with us. But in order for us to be able to fulfill that intent. We need to hire the right caregivers, and these caregivers they 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 really want to care. I mean, like I look my 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 clinicians they don't care any any more than 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 another hospice programs caregivers. I think that we care a bit differently because we have some of these tools, yeah, which I think is unique and and beneficial. But at the end of the day, it we can't do things because we're going to increase our productivity, right? We 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 know productivity is something that we've been talking about in healthcare probably since the beginning of time. But, but if we're doing things for the right reason to ensure that, right. that our clinicians can have a work-life balance, naturally as caregivers, they're not checking out at, at a certain time. I mean, there, there, there's flexibility in terms of what we do in hospice. And that's really important because those patients' needs aren't just Monday through Friday, 8 o'clock to 4.30, right? Those, right. those needs are 2 o'clock in the morning in a February blizzard. And, uh, and you know, those caregivers are going, they're, they're traveling, you know, ac- across, uh, across the interstates here in the, in the Twin Cities Metro or, or in rural areas. And they're, they're out there to, to be with those patients when they need us. A wonderful group of people. And, and I can hear the passion coming through in your voice for this. Maybe last thing I'd ask, I'd be curious, you mentioned you started in nursing home administration. What, what drew you in to do this? Well, you know, I, I think that what what I noticed was that there wasn't a, a significant collaboration in, in the nursing home that, that I last ran with hospice. Hospice would kind of come in, they'd kind of say, we're hospice, get out of our way. And and I think, boy, I've got these nursing assistants that, that have been caring for, you know, our resident that's now a hospice patient for three to four years. And, yeah. and a lot of those nursing assistants knew those residents better than their families did. And, and you know, there, there, there just wasn't collaboration, you know, and I think, wow, why don't you talk to my nursing assistant to find out when the best time to give a bath would be, or, or you know, what kind of assistance they may actually right. need with dining or things like that. And so I thought, you know, we could do this better. I mean, someone could do this better where it's really a collaborative relationship. It's certainly not a supplemental relationship, but, but there should be more collaboration. And, and that's really kind of what we set out to do. And, and we went to a number of different you know, facilities, nursing homes, and assisted livings. And when we started and said, you know, if we could build you the perfect program, what would it look like? And it was really mm-hmm. show up when you say you're going to show up, do what you're, you say you're going to do, and communicate with us. You know, check in and check out. Tell us who you're here to see, what you're here to do, and make sure that you tell us what changes you've, you've made. Because when our shift change happens at 2.30, we need to know what's just happened. Yeah. We thought, well, this is this is kind of simple. If we just kind of be humanistic about this as opposed to regimented in terms of focus solely on ourselves, but focusing on the totality of, of the healthcare experience for this, this resident or patient, uh, this is going to be a win for all of us. And I think that that has carried on with how we work with these hospitals as well, knowing that, you know, if, if, if a need arises at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday, we, we need to go because that's when the hospital and that's when the patient needs us. And we just are fortunate to be able to have that opportunity to to be able to care for that patient at that time. Indeed. I mean, Heath, that is a, a great reminder for something I think we all know, but we need to be reminded of it constantly, which is listen and communicate back. That makes so many things better 
it I know it gets very complex as soon as we dig into it, as soon as we start doing the work, but that core framework all across healthcare and just life in general is so important. That's great. I'm, we are so honored to have you and to have the team involved and bring this perspective in and help expand the thinking of the broader medical alley community. So he thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to join us and for being a part of the medical alley community. Well, again, we are humbled and honored and, and so grateful to be a part of this amazing group of, of folks and, and uh, organizations. And thank you for all you do uh, on behalf of all of us in the healthcare community. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. And folks, that's been another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, check out medicalalleypodcast.org, or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. And hey, would you do me one little favor? Would you share this podcast with just one other person? If everyone listening did that, we'd help tell this story and so many other important stories out of Medical Alley to more people and help spread the word of the amazing things that are happening here. If you'd share it with just one person, I'd really appreciate it. And until next time, I hope you have a great day.